Today we're going to talk about education mm -hmm. and specifically we're going to talk about this connection between education and the criminal justice system and education and kids' freedom of, uh, of choice and mm -hmm. of getting an education right. to begin with. Education is near and dear to our heart. We, yes. we were trained in colleges of education, right. though we are psychologists who are trained in colleges of education. We have children who have gone through public schools right. and private schools. So we've had experience with both, and it remains um, an important interest and almost passion right. of ours. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason is because we see, one of the reasons is um, we're interested in it at a, at a philosophical, right. educational, pedagogical level, but we're also interested in it from a psychological level because we see the children right. who can't handle the school, whatever right. school. And it's, let me say, be very clear, we're not just talking about public schools. Right. This happens in all schools, public right. and private. Some kids just don't fit for one reason or another. Right. Um, and those are the kids that we're seeing, are the right. kids who, or many of the kids that we see are kids who don't fit in the system. So right. we have daily reminders of, um, of these sort of kids who don't fit in the way schools mm -hmm. are structured today. Right. And right. So, and they so, struggle for a variety of reasons, right. behaviorally, academically, right. emotionally, lots of different and reasons. And we've said many times on this program that we're increasingly concerned about what we see as a two-tiered school system, right. where schools, there are elite academies, um, mostly magnet, some charter schools, not all charter schools, but some charter schools, but certainly magnet schools, where they have this, what we refer to as a selective retention policy. If mm -hmm. you don't fit, if you're not a high achiever, if you can't sit still, they ask you to leave the school. So they have this selective group of students and they can create this elite academy. Right. In the meantime, kids who don't fit are dumped back into public schools mm -hmm. and kind of left to fend for themselves. Right. They and their teachers are left to fend for themselves. So right. we're concerned about the two-tiered school system. What we're talking about today um, there were actually three uh, readings, three articles that we ran into. Some One goes back as far as 2009, mm -hmm. um, so it's not a new concern. Right. Um, the other is from 2015 and the other is from 2018. Right. So it's a recurring theme. It's not really right. new. It's a recurring theme. But what we want to talk about today is we want to talk about the changes that have occurred in the public school system partly in reaction to, and partly um, in reaction to, and I think it goes back to the 80s with the, um, um, the um, document that um, President Reagan's um, education secretary mm -hmm. um, wrote, that right. pamphlet mm -hmm. um, about the, the demise of the American school system. Right. Okay. And so people have been concerned about it. So we've had what were called educational reforms mm -hmm. and we've ended up today, presently, with a system that people are starting to question. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're gonna talk about today, is right. questioning the system. Yeah, typically when we talk about our two-tiered system, we're, we're speaking mostly about education specifically, uh, right. academics. Mm -hmm. You know, we have those elite academies that really push students and they, they um, really excel from a mm -hmm. academic uh, you know, state standards types of perspective. That's right. These are these are kids who are good at memorizing. They do their homework. Right. Their parents are supportive. They have lots of support. Mm -hmm. um, there's lots of pressure. There's there's uh, lots of structure right. to um, memorize and do well on standardized tests. The sort of things that schools are pushing today. Right. Mm -hmm. But we're also going to. But today we're going to talk 
more about the two-tiered system from a behavioral right. perspective. That's right. That you know we have these again these academies where students go and all the students there are very well behaved. Mm -hmm. They they com they're compliant and and they they do exactly what they're supposed to do. But then you have the other schools, the other typically public schools, mm -hmm. um, neighborhood schools, where students are engage in more problematic behavior. And the, the, the big concern really is how it relates to the way the schools are responding to those right. kids' behaviors. And That's how, right. how schools tend to make it, sometimes make it worse, mm -hmm. and how sometimes schools overreact in such a way that is really causing a problem for these students That's moving right. forward. And so what we end up with is at the elementary school level, um, the, the, the pamphlet that we were talking about earlier was A Nation at Risk. And, and so there, the, there were these educational reforms that really pushed mm -hmm. um, academic development and increasing instructional time and all that. So we see that restructured the elementary school. Okay, and it was more of a push for um, academic rigor and higher academic standards and were falling behind the Chinese and the Japanese and other countries. So there was this push for academic standards. That's the elementary school. At the middle and high school level, it's more about behavior. Right. Um, how do we make schools safer? And that was a reaction to Columbine and other school shootings. Right. So we begin to see schools as dangerous places, even though they're not mm -hmm. dangerous. We see them, we perceive them as being dangerous, and we have to militarize them mm -hmm. to keep them safe. Right. And so at the elementary level, we see a push for higher academic standards. At the middle and high school level, we see a push for um, zero tolerance of um, anything that smacks of bad behavior. Right. Okay. So. And, and the, the and that's a great segue into what we're talking about mm -hmm. because this idea of misbehavior. Right. What are we talking about with mm -hmm. misbehavior? Because mm -hmm. in in one school, uh, what may be considered misbehavior is, you know, typical. Right. You know, nothing behavior. Right. Um, but in another school, you know, well, not having a pencil can be considered uh, grounds for having, um, you know, ha having major issues and major complications for the student right. resulting in suspensions and things like that. And so, right. um, or, you know, in, in another school, a, a student uh, chewing a Pop-Tart into the shape of a, a gun could lead to mm -hmm. an expulsion, um, even though the child is uh, early elementary school. Right. So <laughs> it was second or third grade yeah. yeah so so when we're talking about misbehavior the the problem is that there's really no clear definition uh, and, and no clear um, operational definition as we refer to it um, mm -hmm. in, in research and stuff there's no operational definition for what misbehavior really is right right children behave to get their needs met right and sometimes what they do we call it misbehavior when mm -hmm. it really isn't Right. And if you go around the United States, if you travel around the United States, um, what is considered um, a breaking a rule or misbehavior in the South mm -hmm. is not considered misbehavior in New England, mm -hmm. okay? Be because it just isn't. It right. just these are cultural differences. So behavior, misbehavior, is cultural. Mm -hmm. um, there are certain words. When I came to the South, mm -hmm. there were certain um, we call them swear words or whatever, however you want to term it, that people in the South considered it um, forbidden. Mm -hmm. it, you were prohibited from saying certain words right. in the South. In the North, my grandmother said those words. I mean, it just right. it didn't have the same value, the right. same connotation 
there that it does in the South. Mm -hmm. So if you say that in the North, nobody blinks. If you say it in the South, it's, it's a serious transgression. Right. Okay? And so we have to remember that these are, these are cultural. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I'm from the North and my wife is from the South. We have very different mm -hmm. norms of, of behavior. Right. And what she considers misbehavior, I don't consider misbehavior. Right. And so, so we're aware of these cultural differences. Right. And so we have to be careful that we're not the, of defining what is really, what, what should the rules be, right. you know, um, mm -hmm. and, and how should they be reinforced? Right. Because that's part of the problem that we're gonna talk about. Right. So what, what tends to happen and what our, our major concern is, and this is from uh, a couple of the articles that we reviewed, um, is that when we, when we, um, man, the, the word militarized came to my mind, but. Um, they, they, they have a word for it. Um, when, you, when you tighten a school, mm -hmm. um, I forget what, I forget the term, I'll think about it as yeah. we're talking, but there's a term that they use, to, the, the, the police and soldiers use right. to make a building safe, to make right. a school safe. I right. forget what the word is, I'll think of it in a second. Yeah. But when we when we treat schools as though they are these dangerous places right. and that we must mm -hmm. um, react quickly and harshly and, mm -hmm. and um, you know very authoritative authoritarian like right. to to challenging behaviors or to behaviors that are outside what we want, mm -hmm. um, we run the risk of setting kids on a path right. um, that will affect them for the rest of their life. Right. You know, we, we worked in schools, uh, we've worked in schools before, mm -hmm. um, and I know there was one particular elementary school that we worked at where there was a student that we worked with who was, th the school would call the police on him at least twice a month. Oh, at yeah. least, if not, yeah. if not more yeah. often than that. So we, we have an, I think he was like in third or fourth grade. Yeah, he was a young kid. Um, we have a third or fourth grader who was, in essence, being arrested. He, was, he would leave in the police car that's right. Um, you know, a couple times a month. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you find the words. words. You find the words for that. Right. right. Words that we're allowed <coughs> to say on the podcast. Right. So the first article we want to talk about was written by John Whitehead. Mm -hmm. I will confess, didn't know his work, mm -hmm. but he's he founded an institute. I think he's a lawyer and a psychologist. Um, he founded an institute called the Rutherford Institute. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know this organization. I need to learn more about it. Mm -hmm. But um, the article was, Public School Students Are the New Inmates in the American Police State. Now, neither Dr. Wilkinson or I are conspiratorial theorists. Right. Uh, we, don't, we don't believe in all that you know, stuff. And, we're not of the, I don't think the United States is a police state, right. but it did, the words he used did attract my attention. So I said, well, let me see what he's saying mm -hmm. here, mm -hmm. okay? And what he says in the rest of the article did resonate mm -hmm. because it's very close to the same concerns that we have. That right. What's going on in public schools are a grave concern of how children are being managed right. by the adults today. And the first thing he says in this article is that schools are becoming more like places of detention mm -hmm. rather than places of learning. Right. And, he, and that's true. They mm -hmm. really have been. Just in the time that my children were in school, they're, they're out of, uh, out of uh, K-12 schools mm -hmm. now, but just in the time that our children were in school, mm -hmm. we saw this change occur, right. uh, that, that it became very, very restrictive mm -hmm. and uh, frightening. Mm -hmm. I mean, the kids were afraid 
of, right. of saying things and doing things. Right. And I can remember in Florida when the anti-bullying law was passed, mm -hmm. and kids were told, you're not even allowed to defend yourself. Right. If you defend yourself, you're also going to get suspended. Right. So it wasn't just the victimizer, it wasn't just the predator, the bully. It was also any kid who defended mm -hmm. himself right. against the bully. We're going to talk about the implications of that. So schools became places of detention rather than places of learning. And the focus be, was on crime and security and violence and all that. that, that everything changed and that became the focus. And we went through a whole period of zero tolerance policy. Right. We are still in a period of zero tolerance policies. Right. And, and what's unfortunate is that a lot of these policies and perspectives gained support, initially at least. They do. Gained a lot of support because it sounds like, hey, we're going to keep our schools safe. We're, we're going to keep our children safe. Right. right? They're going to go to school and I don't have to, my children's, my child's school will be safe. Right. And, mm -hmm. and you're not going to find anyone who would argue that schools should be safe. So, so they, they create these policies and they create these procedures mm -hmm. and we end up with, you know, uh, metal detectors in schools and, you know, canine right. um, uh, units and, and mm -hmm. things like that who, that police the schools in such a way that, um, you know, to, to keep everybody safe. Right. Uh, but there are some other consequences to that. Yeah, because what you do, what, what has happened in schools, the gradual change that has occurred with zero tolerance, we're not going to tolerate anything in this building, is that you begin to criminalize normal childhood mm -hmm. behavior, right. okay? Um, kids are going to get upset, right. they're going to have temper tantrums, they're going to get angry, they're going to say things that they shouldn't have said. Mm -hmm. We all know that. Mm -hmm. The problem is, is when you introduce a police presence and you start to criminalize speech, like if, if a kid today says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill you, kids say that to each other. Mm -hmm. Now when you say that, you can be arrested. Right. That's a threat. Okay, mm -hmm. if you push somebody today, mm -hmm. you can be arrested for assault. So we're the effect of the zero tolerance policies is we began to criminalize what really is uh, normal student behavior. Right. And for those students in middle school and high school, if you become physical, right. if any kid became physical when I was in school, it was a school problem that was dealt with by the principal. Right. Okay, today we have a school, we have a armed guard a right. police officer with the power to arrest. Right. They are now called. Mm -hmm. And a student has, who's disorderly today can be arrested, mm -hmm. okay? Yeah. And so we've criminalized mm -hmm. a behavior. These are kids who have poor impulse control. They're right. kids who, kids I knew when I was in school did that. Mm -hmm. That's not new. It's not like something new is happening in schools. Right. The difference is, We've criminalized the behavior, right. all right, and they're ending up in jail instead of in the principal's office. Right. He goes on to say, by the time the average young person in America finishes their public school education, nearly one out of every three of them will have been arrested. Yeah. That is one of the most alarming statistics I've ever read. Right. Think about that. One out, almost one out of three right. will be arrested. Exactly. We have 50 million school students, uh, K-12 students. In the United States, I think it's 56 million now. Mm -hmm. One out of three will be arrested right. by the time they finish. There's something wrong with the system right. that, that, that creates that. Exactly. And what they're being arrested for right. is not bringing guns to school or bringing right. knives to school or hurting others. They're being arrested for disorderly conduct and disobedience and defiance and not having their uniform and not putting cell phones away. Right. And these things are escalated and they become physical altercations. Right. Okay. 
and kids are ending up getting either hospitalized in Florida, it would be through a Baker Act, or they get arrested right. and, and put in jail, right. put in juvenile detention. And, w- and what's, what's really concerning also about this is that mm-hmm. we know that as soon as students start down a path uh, of criminalized um, mm-hmm. consequences for their behavior, right. so if they, you know, as soon as a person is arrested, mm-hmm. the probability of them engaging in behaviors that's going to lead to future arrests significantly mm-hmm. increases. One suspension mm-hmm. triples the likelihood that you're going to end up in juvenile justice. Right. One suspension. One. One suspension. You're going to triple the likelihood that that student will end up in the juvenile justice system. Right. So, so when we're talking about whether it's high school, middle school, or even elementary school age kids who are being uh, arrested, whose mm-hmm. normal behaviors, um, mm-hmm. you know, we're not denying that they're challenging behaviors. Absolutely. But, but mm-hmm. when those behaviors are criminalized. And right. we respond with a with a punitive, um, you know, juvenile justice type of uh, consequence. We're we're starting that kid on a path that's mm-hmm. going to, you know, stick with them for you know potentially stick with them for a very long right. time, right? Um, and, and influence the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a, a high school student or even a middle school student, you know, if, if they hit a teacher, say, um, not even intentionally. But if they hit a teacher during mm-hmm. some altercation or something, they could be charged with a felony. It happens when all you're charged with a felony, even right. as a juvenile. That's that's going to stick with you, and it's going to influence your ability to get a job. It's going to influence your ability to get a further education. The military, all of that. The military, everything. Okay. Right. And when we talk about an assault, when you bring police into a school, if a kid is having has to be restrained, for mm-hmm. example and he hits, no, he brushes up against a police officer. He is going to be be charged with battery, and that's a felony because you're you're hitting an officer. Yeah, battery law enforcement officer. Law enforcement officer. You don't have to hit him. All you have to do is push, push him away, defend yourself, brush against him accidentally. Any of those things could be considered. They're all considered battery, okay? Mm -hmm. Kids don't know that. I mean, they think I have to defend myself. They don't know what they're doing. That's a felony. Right. That stays with you the rest of your life. Right. Okay. And so, um, and, and you say, well, we have to keep kids safe. Nobody disagrees with that. Right. Okay. And we're not saying police officers are wrong, and we're not saying none of this should be happening. What we're saying is we're criminalizing normal behavior. Right. And when you bring police into a school, mm-hmm. you are setting up a, a new kind of relationship right. between the students and the school. Yeah. There was a school in Philadelphia called John Paul Jones, and for years it was, they were sort of tough kids from a right. Philadelphia neighborhood, and they, were, they had all kinds of problems. And um, just before they were ready to close it, it was taken over by a charter school system. They pulled all the bars off the windows, mm-hmm. they got rid of all the police, right. and they started a new system based on relationships between, mm-hmm. you know, building new relationships between the students and the teachers. The, the students were given time to talk about their problems. Mm-hmm. They were able, there was some flexibility. Their serious problems, <laughs> this, is a, this was a school with some difficulties. By serious problems, we mean murders, rapes, and beatings. And drug sales. And, and, and drug sales yeah. dropped by, I mean, serious problems, dropped 90% in one year. Yeah. Because they changed the culture of the school right. from lockdown uh, police state mm-hmm. to a center of learning. Right. Okay, same kids. It was just a different atmosphere. Right. So you create a new atmosphere, and a lot of these problems go away. So on the one hand, you say, well, the, the police state should work. 
but in fact, uh, it doesn't work very well. Right. It harms a lot of kids. And places that have changed the culture have seen um, yeah. very sudden, very dramatic, right. um, significant improvements. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I like one of the last things he says is that if you want uh, young people to grow up and see themselves as you know, prisoners, you treat them like, R you treat schools like they're prisons. Run the schools like they're prisons, yeah. right. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. uh, that, so that was one article, and, mm -hmm. and we like that um, because uh, many schools, there's this mentality that we have to lock down schools and we have to harden the targets and mm -hmm. all that military right. police SWAT um, vocabulary. And um, it's probably creating more problems because in every case where we have changed the school culture, whether it's in Pennsylvania or Washington, wherever those schools have changed, the results have been dramatic and mm -hmm. positive. Okay? Yeah. So building on that, we found another article called Why Students Don't Like School. This was, this was written way back in 2009, way right. back. Way back. Yeah, it was 10 years ago, right? Yeah. Um, so written in 2009 by Peter Gray, psychologist. And he begins by talking about this book called Why Students Don't Like School. It was written by a cognitive psychologist, cognitive mm -hmm. scientist. And what he said was, well, they don't like school because we're not using the latest cognitive principles and right, right. into this you know, yeah. um, intellectual discussion about cognitive this and cognitive that. And Peter Gray says, no, kids don't like school. They hate school because it takes away their freedom. Right. So again, we see this same right. um, argument that um, mm -hmm. Whitehead made uh, made several years later, six years earlier, mm -hmm. uh, in 2009 by Peter Gray. And he says the only difference, um, the only difference between a uh, prison and a school is that you have to commit a crime to go to prison, but all you have to do is reach a certain age and you get to go to school. But right. he said, in every other respect, they're the same. That alarmed me because right. I thought, wait a minute, schools are not really like prisons. Right. But then you read this article and you say, right. hey, that's a well, good when point. You say, right, when you, when you look at it from a, a particular perspective, right. you know, as far as restrictions and right. um, you know, the, the consequences of, mm -hmm. again, typical behavior. Right, and, and what he, he makes the point, and you and I have made this point many times, we've talked about it here. In fact, children today are far more deprived of liberty than they were when I was a child 60 years ago or when my parents were children 90 years ago. Right. And then he goes on to talk about all those things, that we have increased rates of anxiety and depression right. and suicide. Um, and he's saying that the reason these mental illnesses are increasing in mm -hmm. school-aged children is because of the way we're, we are restructuring right. our schools. And we're making them so highly structured, and again, it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. Raise academic standard, right. zero tolerance, let's harden the targets, let's, let's keep them safe, mm -hmm. security, right. bullying, and all that stuff. And he said that um, even if we use the same rating scales today that we used 50 years ago, mm -hmm. uh, things like the Basque or whatever, whatever you want to talk about, are now roughly eight times what they were in the 1950s, that mental illness Mm -hmm. diagnoses right. are eight times what they were in the 1950s. Right. We're not more mentally ill, right. but more kids are showing symptoms. Right. And, okay. we, and we've talked about this on many podcasts before right. that you know, when we think about the significant increase in ADHD diagnoses, right. that mm -hmm. you know, the, more, the more restrictive you, you allow appropriate behavior to be right. in, in a classroom setting or something, 
the more children that are going to fall outside of those right. bounds. And what Gray, when he talks about freedom, he's talking about we deny children the normal things that they need, right. like recess and playgrounds. Mm -hmm. and what, when he talks about freedom, right. he's not talking about let kids do whatever they want. Mm -hmm. Nobody's talking about right. that. You just let them run wild. What he's saying is we put them in very restrictive mm -hmm. environments where only certain behaviors are tolerated. Right. Okay. And most kids can't do that. Right. I, I couldn't have when I was growing up. I can't as an adult. Right. And so we deny them what they need. We force them to do what's unnatural for them. Right. How many times have you said on this program, should we be asking kindergarten students to write sentences? Right, right. I saw one last, this week. Yeah. A kindergarten student yep. was falling behind, might be held back, mm -hmm. because the student is unable to write a complete sentence. I, I can top it now though. Okay, go, go ahead. I had a five-year-old referred for dyslexia testing. Be why? Be because um, couldn't Be write all their letters. Because, because the expectation <laughs> is that when you're five, you'll read. Yeah. What grade do you win at five? Maybe kindergarten. I didn't go to kindergarten. <laughs> right. <laughs> when I when I was growing up, kindergarten was optional. Right. We didn't have one near us. My right. mother, my parents didn't have two cars. It was you know in the days when you had one car and dad took it to work. There was no. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. Uh, I'll tell you guys. Horse this. and carriage. Though. No, I'm gonna tell you a story someday. Full disclosure: I went to a one-room schoolhouse that had an outhouse <laughs> and two outhouses. I did. I'll tell you the whole story someday. Okay. So anyway, <laughs> it was an accident of history. Um, well, I didn't go to kindergarten. Yeah. So nobody could. Nobody. Nobody knew that I couldn't read at five. Right. Because I wasn't there. Yeah. Okay. Now there is this expectation. It's only because the expectation has changed. Right. Brains haven't changed, children right. haven't changed. The only thing that's changed is we now have this very inappropriate expectation mm -hmm. that every five-year-old would read. And if you don't, you either have dyslexia or there's something wrong with you, right. okay? N wrong, there's right. nothing wrong with you, right. okay? It's completely normal. In Iceland, you can't go to school until you, until you can read. Right, right. It might be six, seven, eight. Right. Then when you can right. read, come to school, okay? Yeah. We have these unreasonable expectations. Um, so we have unreasonable expectations coupled with denying kids the things that they do need, like right. free time right. and play time and recess mm -hmm. and exercise and get out in the wind and right. you know and right. blow off some steam. Um, so he makes the point that we're eight times more likely to have mental illness and and suicide rates have gone up six times, right. a factor of six right. in this 50 year period, okay? We didn't have all these problems then, mm -hmm. okay? Because we dealt with children as they were right. and we had reasonable expectations. Right. I don't even, I mean, we were learning our letters in first grade, right. okay? Now you're expected to write sentences in kindergarten. Right, right. And so th th there are a number of issues um, that seem to be, seem to contribute to this. Mm -hmm. Part of it is that, um, you know, Again, thinking about the freedom of students right. and the, you know why this why students see school the mm -hmm. way that they do. Mm -hmm. uh, part of it is that school the school year is much longer now. That's it's almost a month longer, or more than a month longer than it was. You know, sixty years. That's ago. right. When we say, well, what are what are schools doing today? How do they differ today? Then mm -hmm. what what is it about schools that's different today? Why are we concerned about it? How did this happen? One of the reasons is the school year is longer. Right. We, we used to talk about summer vacation. It was kind of silly to have mm -hmm. kids off for summer vacation. Well, maybe it is, maybe it is. We don't know. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we don't know. 
Uh, we tried year-round school in a couple right. of places and not sure that it worked. But the school year, first of all, is five weeks longer. Right. So we're, ex we're expecting children to do in a developmentally inappropriate tasks and denying them that the fr denying them the freedom right. that they need. You know, right. if you put them in school and you had recess three times a day, right. maybe it would be okay. Right. But you're you've created this dysfunctional, unsustainable mm -hmm. system for young children, and you've increased it by five weeks a year. Right. Okay. And, and and you mentioned a, a second part, and that is that things like recess and lunch and some of these down times right. uh, for the school day have been shortened. They're, they're taken away. While at the same time, the third issue is that school days have been lengthened. And that's the second issue, is school days have been lengthened. So right. we have more weeks of jail, of this prison sort of mentality, right. and the school day is longer. Right, so okay. it's, it's about a day, an hour longer than it was about right. 60 years ago. So you're keeping kids in these confined states right. longer. Okay? Right, and again, during that seven hour period that they're at school mm -hmm. now, um, whereas they used to have recess a couple times a day right. and they would have a longer lunch so that mm -hmm. they can interact socially and everything. Those things have been reduced. That's right. When I was in school, and I, I apologize because I know I've said this before on the program, we, we associated with each other before school started. Okay. Then we had a recess mid-morning. Then we had lunch and recess. Right. And then we had a recess mid-afternoon. And then we got discharged an hour earlier. Mm -hmm. I could make it from break to break. Right. The only re and I would watch the clock, and I would I could make it through my lessons because I knew that after an hour, an hour and a half, we were all going to go outside and play. Right. I don't know that I could have gone to school the way my children right. did, where they sat from seven or seven thirty in the morning until lunchtime right. and never got a break. Right. I I'm, I'm not sure that I could have tolerated right. that. Right. So so we have longer school years. The, uh, the the school day is school longer. Day is longer. Um, the the downtime is more abbreviated. Do you remember silent lunch? Oh yeah, there's still silent lunch. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then and the the fourth part is that the school day isn't over at three o'clock. Right. Now they're we're we're sending students home with much more homework mm -hmm. than than we used to. Mm -hmm. uh, we're right. expecting students. In, in many schools, we're expecting students to learn new material right. at home as part of homework. That's not even presented at school. No, because you have to get through the right. curriculum because we have these standardized tests, right. and, and we can't cover the same material fast enough. Right. Okay, and so four things: more homework, less recess, uh, shorter lunch. I like these twenty-minute lunches. You right. know, we can only have a twenty-minute lunch because we have to cram in academic all this engaged time. Right, we have to have all this academic time. So we reduce lunch to 20 minutes, and you can't eat and talk in 20 minutes, so we have silent lunch. You right. can't talk during lunch. Right. So the one time you do get to sort of let kids talk to each other, you deny them that. Right. In one school, they do the multiplication tables at lunchtime. See? They, they have somebody up there. So one reason is schools have become much more restrictive. Mm -hmm. Okay, it, it really has changed. Over time, they've become very different places. The second thing is, is that after school time has mm -hmm. changed. You know what? We would go home and play. Right. Okay. Now mm -hmm. kids go to lessons. Right. Well, who's in charge of the lessons? Adults, mm -hmm. telling them what to do, when mm -hmm. to do it, how to do it, right. what they're allowed to say, what they're not allowed to say. We were allowed to fight with each other. Well, that's how, one of the ways we worked out our problems is we would fight, argue. You know, during games like when right. you, when you were growing up on a playground, you settled your own. There were no adults around. Right. We'd play all day long without an adult. Mm -hmm. Now you have umpires and coaches and assistant coaches and parents and all these adults structuring the activities. Mm -hmm. And so Gray is saying that the second problem is what should be unstructured time, which right. gives kids a chance to learn these things, 
that's been taken away because right. now we have highly organized adult supervised activities. Right. right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So so everything about a child's life now right. is structured and monitored and regulated and controlled right. by adults. Mm -hmm. Right. So. Right. And so. It's been a gradual change over a 50-year period. What, people say, well, why aren't, why aren't more people talking about this? Well, because the changes have occurred gradually. Mm -hmm. We know we've increased the school day. I didn't start school until after Labor Day. Right. I never went to school before. I yeah. mean, that's when it started. Now we start in late August. Now it's mid-August. Mm -hmm. Now it's early August. So we're staying in school longer in the spring, starting earlier in the late mm -hmm. summer and fall. And so the school year is getting longer. The problem with the school year getting longer is the kind of demands that we're placing on children. Mm -hmm. it, if, if it was a fun place to be, if it was an engaging place to be, I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry so much about it. Right. But given the, um, given the restrictions and how kids are treated in these schools, um, I don't like to see that kind of, I don't like to see it lengthen right. because the, we're dealing inappropriately with children and we're making inappropriate demands on kids, right. Right, on most kids. Right. Now, there's another article, but I'm thinking, why are we doing with time? We're getting close toward the end, aren't we? We're 30 minutes. Well, you know what? There's another article that we were going to talk about, mm -hmm. but it, it's going to lengthen things considerably. Okay. And the article is called 29 Reasons Why, uh, 29 Ways in Which American Schools Are Failing Students. There's some stuff in here about the effects, what we talked about with the first two articles with Whitehead and Gray. It's we've been talking about the effects on children. What this woman does at the end of this article, the last two sections are, these same restrictive policies mm -hmm. are affecting the outcome mm -hmm. and kids are, the schools are not preparing right. kids to be adults. And I was thinking that might be a good, a separate topic that yeah. we might wanna do. We can do that okay. next week. Do it next week yeah. uh, as an extension sure. of this. But to say that it's not just that the kids are suffering because they don't get enough recess, but the way schools are structured today is that kids are being denied the opportunity to learn how to become mature adults. Right. And I, had, I, I kind of sensed that it was a problem, and I've talked to 20-somethings, some millennials, mm -hmm. that, that this is how they feel, that right. they were told exactly what to do. And so then we finished college and we didn't know we didn't know what to do right. because we were always told what to do. Right. Okay, and so maybe that's a good topic for next podcast. Yeah. Okay. We we'll do that next time. All right. All right. So, <clears throat> all right. Well, so we'll put the two that we reviewed the two today. today. We'll put those right. in the show notes. So mm -hmm. definitely read those. They're really good articles. Um, lots of information. Mm -hmm. Lots of links to different things. Right. Um, mm -hmm. So it's great, great information. And right. we'll talk about these uh, other this other article next. Yeah, week. that'll be fun. All okay. Right. Well, good. then that is it for today. Until next time, stay happy, stay healthy. Don't forget to be afraid.